0: Mac Power Users, Episode 41, The Book. Hello, friends. It's David Sparks here, along with my podcasting partner, Katie Floyd. How are you doing, Katie?
1: I'm good, David. Excited to uh, be talking with you about this topic. It feels like it's been a long time coming. Yeah, it has. I guess longer for you than for me.
0: Yeah, so this episode we thought we'd kind of talk about uh, how the Mac at Work book came into existence, and um, a lot of people have asked me questions about it. So uh, we're going to split the the podcast up into just kind of the the business end of it, of how I got – I talked somebody into letting me write a book. And then uh, the process of uh, physically writing the book.
1: Well, let's let's back up. I guess for anybody who doesn't know, first and foremost, you have written a book, and it's it's due to be released a couple of days after this podcast is released, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, as we record this, it's already available in the um, uh, Kindle store, which is kind of a funny story behind that. I'll tell you about later, and uh, it will be in the iBook store. Uh, it's in Amazon already, but you, it'll be shipping in mid-January, and it'll be in Barnes & Noble and other, you know, bookstores around the 17th.
1: Why ha- have you always aspired to write a book? What I mean, what made you just wake up and decide one day that you didn't have enough things to do in your life already?
0: Yeah, it's um, it, it really wasn't a plan. Uh, I, I have thought about writing books before. I've written a lot of fiction uh, stuff just for fun, but... I've never really taken it that seriously. And uh, this was just kind of a fortuitous series of events. I went and spoke in 2009, I think is when I started this, this journey. It was like, it was March, 2009. I went to Chicago, spoke at the ABA tech show. And there was all these lawyers walking around with Macs, but they had their software. I'd say, well, let me see what you're running. And they were running Microsoft Office. Now,
1: the ABA Tech Show, for people who don't know, is a a show that's sponsored by the American Bar Association, which is an association for attorneys.
0: Yeah, Ground Zero for legal nerds is what it is. You know, all the lawyers who are into this stuff show up. And it's a lot of fun. But uh, so, you know, there's a a pretty high Mac adoption rate among them because, you know, Macs have great hardware and software. But... Uh, at the same time a lot of them just didn't know what to use except Microsoft Office which isn't my favorite in in for many reasons so uh at this show a couple of the talks I gave I kind of tailored while I was there to add some of my favorite software because I always felt that using a Mac to get your work done not only can you do it you can actually look better than the guys who are not using Macs I mean because there's such such great software out there So then I was lucky enough to get stuck on a runway for like three hours on the trip home. (laughs) Most
1: people wouldn't say that.
0: Well, you know, I I got thinking about how people sat up in their chairs during those sessions. I thought, well, you know, I'll do a series of posts at Max Barkey on my favorite apps to get work done. And then, you know, the plane got stuck longer. And then I got thinking, well, I could... uh, I could, I guess I could turn this into a book. I never really thought about it for, for the ABA, for, you know, the American Bar Association publishes books for lawyers.
1: And you were probably I, at that point thinking like one of the skinny little, you know, little lawyer books that we get.
0: Yeah, kind of. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I was thinking like a hundred pages or something, you know, not, not crazy. And then I got stuck on the runway longer and I got thinking, well, heck with that. I mean, most of this advice doesn't have anything to do with being a lawyer. It's just getting work done on your Mac so I should just do it for anybody that wants to use their Mac at work. And that's always kind of been a passion of mine is to show that you can, you can pull this off. So I fired up Omni outliner and between getting stuck on the runway and flying from Chicago to orange County, California, I outlined a book. Wow. And that's kind of how it happened. And then I'd remembered, I, I met with, and, and I think it was 2009 or 2008. I had met with Andy Anotko, who has been publishing these uh, iPhone fully loaded books. And I read one of them and I I, I complimented him on him saying, you know, how great it was. I thought he did a good job. And he says, yeah, um, Wiley, who's the company he'd worked with, had treated him well and he was happy and the books came out really nice. And I had remembered that, you know, not with really any intention to ever write a book, but I had remembered he had made that comment. So I went ahead, I wrote an outline and I went on the Wiley website and found out, you know, there's a, a nameless address somewhere in New Jersey or somewhere. And uh, I licked a stamp and wrote a cover letter and it, enclosed the outline and just sent it to him.
1: Now, when, when we're talking outline, how, how detailed of an outline did you get? Is this basically the table of contents of your book? Is this kind of the table of contents with some sub bullet points? Is this you know? Is this a multi-page outline or how detailed did you get? It,
0: it was pretty detailed. I think it was about ten pages or so. And it wasn't the final product in any stretch of the imagination. In fact, as I wrote the book, I ended up adding chapters because I kept coming up with additional ideas and things that I thought should be there. So um, it was about 10 pages. So it was more than just a list of chapters. And it was a it was a list of chapters. And, and the vision from the very beginning in my mind was, you know, this is a book that I would have liked to read when I came back to the Apple platform. Because, you know, I used to use Macs. Then... For a long time, I used PCs because my work required it. And when Apple got into the Intel chips, I switched back to Mac. And, um, you know, there was just a lot of questions I had that I didn't have answers for, and they weren't easily found, so I had to go find them myself. And uh, so each chapter addresses in this book a different subject. You know, there's, there's 24 chapters in the book. And there's 24, you know, topics. I mean, one is on presentations, one is on doing diagrams. I mean, there, there's so many. there are ones on synchronization. It goes on and on and on. So, you know, I always knew that was the vision I wanted. I wanted somebody to be able to pick it up and say, "Oh, today I have to figure out how I'm going to work with an Exchange network," and just say, "Okay, chapter 12," and they'd go read chapter 12, and then when they were done, they'd know all the best software and the solutions for getting it to, getting that job done. So. You know, that was the idea. So I sent it off to them and really didn't think about it much after that because I really expected never to hear back from them. And I was, you know, the kind of the backup plan was I'll either do a series of posts at Max Barkey or self-publish or something, you know. And uh, then I got an email from them saying, hey, we're really interested in this book. That's That's a good idea. And, you know, it's like this podcast. I didn't want to write a book that had already been written. I wanted to do something different. And it's the same thing and there really is no book out there like this. If there was, I probably would have just bought it and not bothered writing it.
1: Now that was another question I had is is how much research did you do about other books that are out there because I've got to admit I I haven't read a lot of books. Uh, Your book is probably one of the first books on Max that I've I've sat down and actually read. There've been a couple of books that, you know, I've I've thumbed through for reference or I've I've picked up something here or there. But if you look on my bookshelf, you won't find a, a single Mac reference book. Did you yeah. did you take a look at other books before you sat down to write yours to kind of survey the field and see what was out there or or get an idea of the writing style or the kinds of things that these books encompassed?
0: All those things sound like great ideas and I didn't do any of them. Okay. You know. I just kind of had this idea and I sent it out there, but I was aware that there really wasn't anything out there like this. Uh so so I sent it out there and they sounded really interested And you know, it's a big company, Wiley is and you know there was a period of time where they weren't sure would this be a dummies book because they do dummies books you know the you know whatever for dummies and then they they got another right. and then they have another series called pocket genius or something where it's kind of like um you know a Mac specialty book like a i work book or something like that and uh it, it, i don't know this story could be boring for the listeners they may want to advance but you know it just went on and on and you know but i had a couple people there who were really behind the idea And they were really champions of it from the very beginning. And then there were other people there, these nameless people, who I don't even know who they are uh, to this day, (laughs) who who weren't a fan of this idea because they felt like um, books about computers and work just don't sell. People aren't going to buy them. But isn't that
1: what Wiley does? I mean, aren't they primarily a a, a publisher of, of somewhat technical books? Yeah, but
0: I mean generally, like I guess Wiley had done a series sometime back when, you know, um, you know, Photoshop at work and oh. stuff like that and those books didn't sell very well. So So anyway, so I, I was told, Oh yeah, it's gonna happen. We're right there, we just have to have one more meeting and it's gonna get approved and this is all happening I don't know, sometime in the I guess third quarter or, or middle of two thousand nine. And it's any day now it's gonna get approved and I mean they're they're promising me this is all gonna happen and I'm like, Okay, so I'm just kind of along for the ride and then I get the a very nice email from someone at Wiley saying, you know, one of the main people just isn't going to approve this. It's just not going to happen. And I said, okay, no worries. You know, thanks for considering it at least. And I wasn't really sure what to do at that point. Oh, and then after that, the Wiley people said, yeah, but we would like, we do like you and we'd like you to write a book for us. So maybe you could write a book for us on keynote, you know. So then I wrote, and outlined a book for keynote, you know, <laughs> but I always wanted to do the Mac at work book. All right. You know, let so me you, restart you know.
1: that. Yeah.
0: And I thought, well, if I do write a keynote book, then maybe I can do Finally do the Mac at work book later. And, and, um, so I outlined that then at the end uh, they decided what they were looking for. Wasn't really what I was talking about. Cause I wanted to write a book about, if you're going to do a keynote, I want to talk a book about presentation technique and how to make a presentation, how to write a presentation that doesn't suck, you know,
1: kind of what and, we did our podcast on.
0: Yeah. And they were kind of more interested in kind of like graphic design and layout. And I said, really, I'm not the right person for that. You need to get a graphic designer to talk about, you know, slide layout if that's what the book's about. So, so that kind of fizzled too. And there were really no hard feelings at all. I, you know, I, you know, it's a big business and they have to think about what they're going to spend money on. And so I just kind of assumed that that, that was done and started thinking about options of self-publishing and some other stuff. And I actually spoke with an agent at one point. Who said, oh, yeah, this is a terrible book. Nobody will ever like this book. And I'm like, okay. But I, I still felt like this is something that, that people could use. And uh, so I was pretty uh, settled on the idea that I would just go ahead and write it this year and just put it on my, my blog for, you know, 10 bucks a PDF or something. You know, one of these self-published books.
1: Now, can you talk a little bit about the self-publishing route? Um, I mean, maybe I, – I don't know how far in depth you got in, into publishing that, but is that something that you would just PDF and put some kind of copy protection on and try to sell it yourself, or is that something that you can sell through Amazon, or, or how does that work?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of options, and if you go on the web, there's a lot of resources, and I didn't go that deep into it. I know that, like, for instance, you can get yourself published on the Kindle store and, and some other things, but my thought on it was really – Uh, I was going to go kind of the open source route to it. And I was just going to put it on my website and say, download it. And if you think it's worth something, send me some money. And uh, because, you know, I I just kind of want to get the word out there more than anything else that you can work with your Mac. And then uh, I was fortunate enough last year to give a session at Macworld called Mac at Work. And somebody from Wiley had attended. And, uh, And then I met with somebody from Wiley afterwards. And, you know, they were very apologetic. We were really sorry this book didn't go through. You know, we thought it was a good idea. And, you know, it just goes that way. And I said, that, that was fine, you know. And then I started getting uh, emails from them right after Macworld saying, you know, we've kind of reconsidered. And now we're thinking about this again. We want to run it up the flagpole again. So they did, and it got approved. And then, you know, be careful what you wish for, because then all of a sudden it comes true, you know. <laughs> so they, they, uh, they wrote me, and we agreed to uh, do a book. So... Uh, I I did think a little bit about it because by then I had looked into self publishing enough to know that I could do it, but I just felt like, um, and frankly, I, I probably would have made more money doing it myself. I'm not sure how it all is going to work out in terms of the money, but um, but I just thought it'd be good to be published by somebody, you know, at least just once in your life to say you published a book, maybe more, who knows? But so, and also, I thought I really don't know anything about this process, and I thought just the experience of writing a book would be a just a fun fun adventure for me, you know, because then I'd have an editor and all these other things I've never dealt with before. So I wanted to do it. So uh, we made the deal and I wrote a book. So that's kind of how it happened. It wasn't really any uh, planning on my behalf. I I think I took a leap of faith when I wrote the outline and stuck it in an envelope. I didn't really send it off to a lot of other publishers. Uh, It just, it just kind of happened.
1: Now, without getting into too much detail or, or, or personal information or anything like that, there's obviously a negotiating phase and some kind of, of contract phase. Um, you probably have the benefit over many of our listeners because you are an attorney. I know this isn't your specific area of practice, but uh, was that one of those things where you would recommend that somebody get an agent or have an attorney look over that thing? Or is it was just a kind of thing of, of, here's the deal you can take it, you can leave it.
0: No, there, there was some negotiation. I mean, like they, they wanted to charge me to index it. And I'm like, that's silly for as little as I'm getting paid. You guys can index the book and, you know, just things like that. Um, and there's a lot of stuff in there about rights and whatnot. So you're probably best having an agent or an attorney, but you know, I was just kind of feeling, uh, this was just an adventure for me. I I did okay on it, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be quitting my day job anytime soon for writing MacBooks. but, uh, it's, um, it's something that if you don't know anything about it, you should be careful entering publishing contracts because you can give up a lot of rights.
1: Okay. So you've got the deal. I guess the next step is to write the book, right?
0: Yeah. But yeah. That, you know, that's when it got interesting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but before we go there, why don't we take a quick break and uh, talk about our first sponsor covered in your book, of course, and that's smile software.
0: Yeah. Um, smile makes a, uh, PDF pen and um, text expander and a variety of great productivity apps for the Mac. So they really fit in if you're going to use your Mac at work.
1: Yeah. I've been, I've been reading through the book and I I keep seeing their little icons popping up as I'm, I'm flipping through.
0: Yeah. That was one of the questions is, you know um, you know, what are the best software solutions? And, uh, and I, I feel that really a PDF pen is, is one of them. It's one of the examples of why this book needed to get written, in my opinion, because when I first switched back to the Mac, I didn't know that Smile Software existed, and I paid 450 bucks for a copy of Adobe Acrobat Pro when I could have got by with PDF Pen easily. And uh, for 50 you know, bucks one... for the
1: regular version, or you know, 100 bucks for the Pro version, depending on whether or not you need those advanced features.
0: Yeah, so now they've got you know the new version five out with 64-bit support, and it, it deskews the page, so it'll straighten up the page, making OCR better. Um, they've added redaction tools. So if you've got something in a PDF file you don't want someone to read, like a social security number or something, you can redact it easily in the application. And it's at a fraction of the price of Adobe Acrobat. You know, it's got the most important features and does the job. I use it all the time uh, PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro.
1: Yeah, I've, I've been using it quite a bit lately. I've been. Um Personally, I've been going back and forth uh, uh, signing some uh, real estate contracts, and you know when you when you do these kind of deals with people, there's there's always one more document to sign or one more piece of paper that we need or one more little bit of information that we absolutely positively have to have in the next 15 minutes or we can't process your deal. Um, and I found that PDF Pen has just been a lifesaver from the perspective of being able to scan in or pull up PDF files, and then I have a, a signature. File that's that's saved into PDF Pen, and I've recently added an initial file because I found that I need that quite a bit, um, and I can I can drag and drop and sign documents and send them back. And I've I've actually had the guy that I've been working with comment say, "Gosh, you're you're really organized. You get these back to me really quickly." Like yeah, yeah, that's PDF Pen. So
0: great application, and there's a book.
1: There's a book if you really want to go deep on PDF Pen. Uh, if you go to smilesoftware.com/slash/pdfpen uh you'll you'll see a link to the Take Control ebook that was written all about PDF pen so uh there's a link in our show notes you can find PDF pen and all the other great software created by Smile at smilesoftware.com and thank you to Smile for their continued support of the Mac power users and uh we look forward to working with them throughout 2011
0: Yeah now the book has a chapter on PDF I'm sorry it has a chapter on PDF management and uh what I did was I covered what you can do with the built-in preview. And then I kind of worked my way up through the PDF, uh, the Smile products, and also Adobe Acrobat Pro. And there are certain features Adobe Acrobat Pro has that PDF Pen doesn't. So you can kind of work through and figure out where you fit on the spectrum.
1: All right. So you talked a little bit about uh, actually outlining the book, and and I'm guessing that outline was a fluid thing. Did Did it change up until the point that you finished the book, or at some point did they say, okay, you have to set it?
0: Well, I mean, you're supposed to have a set outline in the publishing process before you really start writing the book. Uh, and this one was a list of chapters with various subpoints underneath them. And, you know, I made a series of um, OmniFocus projects. Actually, I had a little template, and I would, you know, when I decided to write a chapter, I'd go through it. But you know, the, the first step was having kind of a master outline that was done in Omni OmniOutliner. And, um, and I used that throughout, but to be honest i mean the final product usually was was different from the exact outline that we had put together at the beginning
1: so your did your your outline that you put together at the beginning was that a starting point then for a number of sub outlines as you then went through and outlined each individual chapter or did you expand on it from there or?
0: yeah at the beginning if everything had gone according to plan at the beginning what i did was i exported the outline from omni outliner as an opml file and we've talked about this before on the show I think. Uh so once once you have an OPML file, you can open Scrivener and import that and it creates sub folders for all the projects. So, uh once I had a pretty good working outline, I had the whole thing basically built in Scrivener with one import and then I started working from that. Um so the idea from the beginning was I'd take a chapter a week and usually it was kind of my Saturday project. And I would, you know, go to a particular chapter and start, you know, writing. And usually I would pick them two or three weeks in advance because I had to do some research or, or check up with some, you know, apps or something I wanted to look into. And uh, so I would start writing that chapter and then it would be kind of in process for a couple of weeks because I would go through it and and I'll go through the whole details of that later. But to begin with, it would start in Scrivener as a series of, of marked research tabs from an OPML input from OmniOutliner. Uh, that did change during the course of the project. I got a little more refined at it. Uh, I discovered some great mind-mapping solutions on the iPad, which I thought were fun. And uh, maybe just because I'm a nerd, or maybe it did actually be, was more productive. Some of the chapters, I would just uh, mind-map them and then export them as LPML from there and then import them into Scrivener. Uh, iThoughts HD was the one that I, I settled on towards the end because it was it's so easy to manipulate. Uh, so, you know, the outline's kind of done and then I'll pick a chapter and say, okay, next week I'm going to work on, um, spreadsheets. So I'll, I'll, you know, ref- go to the outline, the existing outline, you know, polish it up and then I'll start writing. And I write kind of the inside out method where I, I go into the details first and kind of work my way out to the, the over arching, you know, theme. It's interesting writing these chapters because, you know, if you've ever talked to someone who wrote a book, they'll tell you how it's hard to get started on a book because you you kind of have to get your momentum going. And with this book, every chapter is really a separate little book is really what it comes down to between three and five thousand words or so. And um, at the beginning, I struggled a little bit because I had to, like, get myself restarted every chapter. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, no, it does. Yeah.
0: But as I went on, I kind of got better at it and I got more comfortable with the editorial process. So, so just to give you a sample, if I'm writing this um, chapter on spreadsheets, so I'll do the initial review. I mean, I'm the one who's picking the software applications I want to focus on or the techniques that I want to feature or something like that. And I'll go through and I'll write it and then I'll write it all in Scrivener and I'll, I'll basically manage the editing in Scrivener. You know, I'll go through and proofread it and get the full screen view and everything. And then as I start getting towards a more polished version of it, then I will go through and read it again. And I'll put in the, um, I had a bunch of text expander snippets for the figure language, you know, because when you put a, a picture in a book, you've got to have certain code and stuff in there. So the publisher knows what to do. And by the end, I got really good at, at text expanding all of that stuff. So I could just pop it in there really quickly and then I went, I was the one who went and took all the screenshots. So, you know, I would open, like if I'm talking about Excel, for instance, I would go through and open Excel and, and create a spreadsheet. And, you know, I try to do stuff where I'm I had to make up data, you know, cause you don't want to have anything real inside your book. And then I will, um, I'll take screenshots, you know? And so I got really adept at taking screenshots and you had to get them at a certain size because of the publishing requirements. It's actually a smaller resolution than I'm used to looking at. Uh, they wanted it, in, I think it was 1024 by 768. So I'd have to like take my beautiful 24 inch iMac and and put this dreadfully, you know, terrible resolution on it to take these screenshots. <laughs> and uh, so I'd take them and I'd go through and kind of revise them and get them done. And once I had done what I felt like was a pretty good proofread and I would, I would do uh, export it to a um, RTF file from Scrivener. And then, because I needed to have it in Word, because the editors all used Word. Which is, uh, I just heard everybody listening to it groan, (laughs) listening to the show groan.
1: Do they still use Word? Have you converted them?
0: Yeah, they do. They do. And, uh, you know, but it's, you know, to be honest, I mean, Pages does not treat RTF files very well. I mean, Apple's Pages does not have good RTF support. You know, Word does a better job of it and they wanted to track changes and their publishing system needed Word. So there's a bunch of reasons, good reasons why they did it. But for me, I didn't want to spend a lot of time in Word. Although as a caveat, I, I kind of grew to like Word. I mean I think that they've done a better job with this new version than they ever have before. So and I was because I was writing the book, I got in on the beta for Office twenty eleven and I've been using it for basically since the last like March and it's much better. It's faster. It's more efficient, et cetera. So, so at the end I would uh, export this RTF file and put it out to, um, word. And then I'd put it in word and do the final formatting because there were very specific styles that had to be used uh, for the publishing process. And that really didn't take too long. So it took me about probably 20 or 30 minutes. So at the end I would export the whole thing to RTF and I'd put it in, uh, Microsoft word and then do the final formats and do one final proofread and then i'd make a nice zip file that had the word file and all the artwork for the chapter and send it off to the editors and then i'd forget about it and i had two editors in the process i had one that did uh just checked for grammar who was also um i kind of returning to the mac after a long time she had a new imac so it was really great having her because if i went too fast she would tell me you know she didn't get something and then the other one, who was a just a Mac Pro guy, has been around forever. knows a lot. Of it. Used to write for MacWorld, still writes for some technical magazines. So it was good, kind of having those two different perspectives as I went through it. and And they made some great suggestions. I had I had really good editorial support throughout it.
1: Now, what kind of suggestions do your do your editors make? I mean, obviously you mentioned that one was focused primarily on grammar, but I mean, what kind of feedback do you get from them? Do you have telephone or Skype conversations with them where you, where you go through the book and they talk about, you know, well in this chapter or in this paragraph or this is, I mean, or is it email correspondence? I mean, these are, you know, how are they critiquing your work or how are they, how how does that work?
0: Well, a lot of it was track changes with comments, you know, where, for instance, if I, I wrote a chapter about creating a secure disk image, and um, the editor who was not that experienced with this stuff would write comments, and say, Well, I don't really understand what that means or how does this work? And then I'd go back and make it a little more clear. And then, uh, or if there was something about when I was writing about the chapter about um, networking and dealing with the exchange, um, my technical editor said, well, what about Lotus notes? Which is a good point, which I hadn't really considered, you know, but Lotus, some people still use Lotus notes. So we went back and added language in there concerning how to deal with Lotus notes. So, you know, it'd be something like that. Now did they
1: intentionally give you kind of a, a power editor? Well, that's kind of the wrong phrase, but uh, an editor who had more Mac experience and editor had Mac, less Mac experience or did it just kind of work out that way.
0: It just kind of worked out that way. I mean that one technical editor was certainly there to try and, you know, find technical issues. And, uh, but, you know, and that person also did the layout and did a really good job, I thought, with the layout of the book. So it was really great having them there. And sometimes they just say, you know, this sentence is awkward or it doesn't really make sense to me or, you know, something like that. And, you know, it helps having someone go and read it because you, you do this stuff kind of in a vacuum and it makes sense to you. But, you know, anybody who's written anything knows that sometimes the words that you mean to convey aren't exactly what comes down on the screen. So it was helpful having them around as I went through the book. And to rein me in, because you know, I, I write pretty informally for the Max Barkey blog. And so I wanted to you know, I, I knew this was a published book. I couldn't really be that informal. So once in a while they'd catch me.
1: So how did you how did you share these documents back and forth with your editor? Was it Dropbox? Was it just email back and forth or because uh, if you're if you're zipping up these files and sending them back and forth, there's there's not really any kind of real time interaction.
0: No, there, there never was. And, you know, what would happen is I'd send a chapter or two off to them, and then I'd go to work on the next chapter. And I'd hear back in a couple weeks, you know, and I'd get the ones I had sent back, and I'd go through those and make whatever corrections and changes needed to be made. And sometimes we do that a couple times, depending on, you know, where the what, how the chapter went. I mean, some chapters I'd turn in, and they'd come back, and they'd have almost no changes, and some would come back, and they'd, you know, they looked like it almost needed to start over because they didn't understand something. And, you know, then I ran into the problem of chapters changing. You know, I wrote a whole section of the book, a whole chapter on speech recognition about, you know, max speech dictate. Then all of a sudden Dragon bought out and they issued Dragon Dictate Two. just, you know, when the book was practically done and they added features and took away features. So I had to go back and almost rewrite that chapter at the last minute.
1: Now, how far into the process were you able to make changes once the chapter, was there ever a point in time when it was just locked and you couldn't, I mean, obviously at some point it goes to press, but, you know, obviously with the Dragon chapter, you were able to, to stop it and, and go back.
0: Yeah, the whole thing locked up about a week after, um, Apple announced the MacBook Air and, um, and, you know, then they announced the App Store and I didn't have a chance to put that in the book because we just ran out of time and, um, And I was dealing with my mom's illness at that point. I really just didn't have time to go back and add anymore. But, you know, a book like this is so overreaching that every time something goes off in my RSS, there's a chance that something would change in the book, (laughs) you know, because there's everything. It covers accounting software. It covers, you know, making diagrams. It's so overreaching that, you know, multiple times in the book I would have to go back and make changes because something changed. But it was all fun. You know, I have to say overall the process was fun. I I was very intimidated at the beginning, you know. Um uh I didn't even cash the check when they sent me the first check for the book, you know, because they'd pay you like a percentage as you get through. And the, I, I was convinced that they were gonna get the first couple chapters and say, you know what, we uh we changed our mind, you know. <laughs> so I, I didn't put the check in the bank, I just held on to it, you know. <laughs> Uh, but they seemed to like it. And so I got the book done and it, it was fun. You know, it was kind of maddening uh, with all the changes and it is a lot of work. I mean, to sit down and write three or 5,000 words in a weekend on top of your day job uh, is, is, it's not easy, but you know, I'm, I'm passionate about this stuff and I really felt like I was kind of on a mission. You know, I wanted to get the word out there that you can, you know, get work done with your Mac and, and the book came out, I think to be more than Mac at work, I was talking to a friend who read it and he says, you know what this really is. Is just a Dave sparks mind dump, you know, which is kind of true because I mean, I've got chapters in there about backing up and synchronizing and some stuff that we may have nothing to do with using your Mac at work, but they were all things I thought you would need to be aware of if you wanted to get work done on your Mac
1: uh well we're going to talk a little bit more about the the mental process of of writing a book and and the actual release of the book and some of those details but uh, let's take another quick break um for our second sponsor and uh that is OnePassword. You know, uh we talked last week in in our last episode and and we're still having some of the fallout about this this Gawker media uh hack that uh, appears to have infiltrated, you know, multi uh, aspects of the web uh, in terms of password security, and it's really shown a spotlight on on how bad some people are um, about password security, and it you know just makes me thankful that I am using one password for uh, all of my passwords because it's it's dangerous. You know, there's there's really no excuse to to have the same password across multiple sites or to use that one two three four five six as as your your password or or the dreaded password um, as your password. Um, because one password is is the easy way to create uh strong unique uh m- uh passwords that are available on your mac on your p c on your iphone on your iPad that will pretty much sync up anywhere you need it whenever you want it
0: yeah i w- I had um after Christmas I set up a bunch of iPads and macs for family relatives and family members, so they 're giving me their passwords as i 'm setting up their emails, and I realize that nobody in my family Respects passwords.
1: Did you educate them?
0: Yeah, it's terrible. They're like using their last names as their password. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I said, okay, on, because we're all, my whole family's getting together for New Year's, which is, we're, as we're recording, this is tomorrow night. And I told them all, bring your computers, New Year's Eve, we are having a one password party. And I'm going to teach everybody how to use one password and set them up because it's just, it's not acceptable that my relatives are using these crazy, Bad passwords. It's so easy. You know, it's $40 to buy the application on your Mac. For $15, you can get a hybrid version for your iPhone and iPad. Now they've got versions on Windows and Android. They've really covered the bases. If you use Dropbox, even the free version of Dropbox, you can sync everything across. Uh, It takes all the trouble out of it. And once you just take, you know, the 10 or 15 minutes it takes to set it up, you will never regret it.
1: Uh, you can also get a twenty percent discount on One Password if you uh, the uh, the desktop application of One Password uh, if you use the link in our show notes. And they do now have a Mac and Windows bundle for One Password, where you can save some money uh, by purchasing the bundle license together. So that is nice if you're uh, having to use a PC at work, or if you've got a both Macs and PCs. Yeah. Uh, so you can find more information about the various uh, different one password applications um, at OnePassword.com, And we do want to thank them for their continued support of the podcast. Okay. So I, I can't tell you how many people have told me I want to write a book. I'm going to write a book. Uh, you know, it, it, it's not that hard. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to write a book. No problem. But yet, the number of people who have actually done it is is quite small. And you and I were talking, and y- you did this process, you know, all told from the point that you started writing into the point you you wrapped up. I think in less than six months or so. Um, yeah, yeah. And and then when I, I I'm I'm actually in the process of reading the book. I got the the uh, ebook edition since it was available early. And I I'm just in awe of this because there is a ton of knowledge uh, crammed into this book. It is, it is not a little book. I mean, I don't know how many actual, you know, physical pages it ended up being because you know, like I said, my ebook edition is probably a different page count. Um, but how how did you actually do it?
0: <laughs> well, the final book is 365 or so pages and, uh, in the hard copy and the, um, and it's 90,000 words. Oh my gosh. And it was kind of fun because I didn't really pay attention to that till I got to the end, and that's one of the fun things about Scrivener is it'll do a word count of an entire project for you. And When I got to the end, I started looking at the page count, and I was, I was, uh, I was, I thought it was remarkable. I didn't think I had it in me, but you know, it's just like eating an elephant. You know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And uh, it was fortunate I was able to break it up into twenty-four little books. You know, I talked earlier about how that was kind of mentally blocking at first but as i got into a rhythm you know i didn't think about i have to write 20 more chapters i just said well this weekend i have to write a chapter on you know speech recognition or this weekend re- we can have to write a chapter on virtualization so i just kind of did it that way and you know you just start knocking down those pins and moving the cursor across the screen and there was a couple tricks i kind of picked up along the way um i think it was rands and repose and i'll i'll look up the um the exact article, but uh, he's a, uh, I forget the guy's name, but he's a really well known author in kind of nerd circles. And he had talked about when he wrote his books, he would use brackets whenever he got kind of stuck somewhere. And rather than sit there and try and, you know, torture yourself about how to phrase a certain phrase, just put a set of brackets with, you know, write something about, you know, Quicksilver here and then just move on and then go back and fix those brackets later, which is a good way to kind of keep it going. You know the the trick to all of this really is it's not that, um, it's not that I you're you're special that you can finish a book. It's just that you were able to you know get past all the blocks that you create for yourself. And it it's really easy to sit there and try and block yourself. Does that make sense? I'm yeah, kind of sounding kind of hippie here. I know.
1: No, it does. I mean, but uh, you know, you're you're a very busy guy. I mean, I, I'm just. You know, astonished that you have enough time to do this podcast with me. But you know, you're an attorney, which in and of itself is not an easy job. Um, you're a family man. You do other things outside of 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 work and family commitments. Um, you got the Mac Sparky thing going. You've got the Mac Power Users thing going. And then you're writing a book. I mean, I just don't understand that there are that many hours in the day. So, did you, yeah, you know, did you set aside a specific, you know, time in the morning, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to spend four hours on this before the kids get up, or what techniques did you find that that helped you kind of maintain somewhat of a balance and still see your children?
0: Yeah, it was definitely. This is as busy as I ever want to be. As I, when I wrote this book. Because, you know, it's tough. I've got a full-time job and my job, it's not a kind of job where, you know, you say five o'clock, okay, let's punch the card and go home. I mean, if I've got a client who's got a problem and, you know, his business or his home or something else is at stake, I stay as late as I need to, to, to solve his problem. And so I really realized from the beginning that I wasn't going to get much done Monday through Friday. And, you know, when I get in trial, I work weekends too. So I kind of looked at my trial calendar, and we were, and the publisher was pretty generous. The I think the final, um, submittal deadline was in October, but that kind of rolled a little bit as Apple changed things. And I, I was well ahead of their deadlines anyway. Uh, but you know, I just really felt like you know this is something I need to do on the weekend, and uh, and I'd spend some time in the evening sometimes laying out and planning chapters, and then I'd spend a lot of time on the weekend writing a chapter. And uh, you know, it's tough because I have two girls and I like to spend time with them and, you know, after working all week and, uh, you know, you make sacrifices and really they paid to a certain extent for me writing this book because, uh, I didn't have as much time to go to the park, uh, when I was putting the book together. I mean, there is only so many hours in a day, uh, but, uh, I had a long enough timeline that it wasn't, it didn't take away my whole life. You know, I was able to still make time to do things like that. And, um, you know, we had a, my mother had an illness throughout this whole thing, and like in July, it was kind of bad. And I was able to take almost a whole month off the book because I was far enough ahead. And so, whenever something came up that family really needed me, I was there. Uh, but it was difficult. I, you know, it's I'm not going to pretend it was easy to get through all this. But it was fun too. And like I said, I always felt like I was kind of on a mission. I mean, do you ever see the old Blues Brothers movie? You know, mm-hmm. we're on a mission. You know, I was I was on a mission. I really wanted to get this book written because I think. I think it's something that people need to know can be done.
1: Now did you or did your your publisher set mini deadlines for yourself that you need to complete, you know, certain things by certain deadlines, or was that self imposed, or did your publisher impose some of that and did that kind of help break up the load or
0: not really. I mean, they gave me a deadline for the book and like I said, in October, but I started writing it in like, I guess it was April that I really started writing in earnest. Um, so I felt like I was always going to be right on target with the the deadline and I was actually planning to finish it about a month early and I, I almost did. Um, I'm sure that if, you know, by July I hadn't submitted any chapters, I'm sure I would have been hearing from them, you know, but that wasn't a problem. At one point I thought, uh, before my mom got ill, I thought I was going to get it done quite a bit early and I was hoping we could get it out before Christmas. And I said, well, I need to talk to you about the deadline. They said, oh, you need us to move it back. And I was actually going to ask them to move it forward. Uh, but it sounded to me like if I had needed to move it back, it probably wouldn't have been that big of a deal. But, you know, a project like this, too, at some point you want to get it done.
1: Yeah, because you want to get your life back. Yeah. You talked a little bit about there there being some specific requirements from the publisher with regards to, um how you do your screenshots or the language that you use for your figures and you, you put some text expander snippets together and things like that. Did did you just have to figure that out as your editors, you know, explain to you, no, that's not how you do it, or did they give you like a, a cheat sheet or a crash course or I mean I mean, how do you actually learn the technicalities of how you have to write the language of writing a book for for that particular publisher's system?
0: Well, yeah, like in my case Um, I really learned it by screwing it up a lot at the beginning and then slowly, you know, it's sunk in, you know, like for instance, you know, there's specific language when you reference something in the menu, you know, they, they have different, you know, uh, text they use for, you know, the menu items. And then you use an arrow and they've got, you know, the very specific typography they want you to use. Well,
1: because I would imagine that Wiley also wants to be fairly consistent throughout their line of books.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, and the technical editor was explaining it to him. Cause I kept saying, well, look, I, how am I supposed, I don't, you know, it's like, I don't speak the language, you know, it's like learning a new language. He says, yeah, I, I understand. He says, but the thing is it's different for every publisher. So like if you write a book for Wiley, this is the way you do this. But if you write a book for somebody else, you do it differently. So, so that took a while and that's why I got much more efficient at writing towards the end because I knew exactly how to format it and You know, things went a lot smoother at the end, which is kind of funny because I started the book writing the easiest chapters first because I knew there would be a learning curve for that stuff. And by the end, I was working on the chapters that I thought were more difficult, but in a lot of ways, they were a lot smoother because I knew how to write for them.
1: So after you finish the book, you know, you, you turn in that last chapter, the editor approves it, it's all gone. What do you do?
0: yeah it you know the it was always being refined, and things were getting changed, you know like when Steve gave the big announcement of the new MacBook Air, I needed to go back and make changes to the chapter one and you know some of the other stuff, so it was never really done until that deadline finally came, and you know they submitted it to Wiley and Then, you know, you just kind of sit tight at the point that the whole thing was done. I have to be honest. I thought it was just a big smoking pile of junk, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and just, you know, because I just spent six months deep on this project and anybody who writes or creates or, you know, whatever you do, after you've been with something so intimately for so long, you, you can't look at it objectively. And then, uh, so then I had kind of a month off of it and, um, and dealt with a lot of other stuff. And when I finally got the um, in mid December, I got the final you know EPUB proof copy that's going to go in the iBookstore, and put it on my iPad and started reading through it. And I'm like, hey, you know, this isn't so bad, you know. So I had a little time, and I, I started to like it. And you know, so uh, it's pretty good. I'm I'm happy with it. I'm proud of the work I did.
1: So I guess. Would it be fair to say that from a typesetting perspective and all the book was done in in mid December I guess when you got the ePub?
0: Not really no. because the uh, the technical editor did all the layouts. So I saw layouts like after I'd written the first couple chapters. And you know, when we kind of worked through that process at the very beginning. So as I wrote the book, we would we were locking down chapters as we went, you know, I'd get the proofs back and I'd make changes and then I'd send it and then they'd make changes and once we kind of got everything where we wanted it, the technical editor would do all the layout stuff right there. So layouts were being done, so it wasn't something where um, the technical editor or the layout guy got 365 pages worth of text and had to go do all the layout at once. It was being done as we worked through the book. So it really wasn't that difficult to finish. It was no difficult, more difficult than, you know, as we were going through the process. We did add a couple things. So I added an appendix at the last minute. I got thinking, you know, if you're, you're working with your Mac at work, one of the biggest problems is, you know, aggressive IT people. So I made a list of all the IT uh, excuses for avoiding Macs at, at work, and I wrote an, a response for each one. Yeah, yeah so, I saw
1: you Twittered something about that.
0: Yeah, I did. Months, I yeah. actually put it on Twitter, too, and, and got a lot of funny things from people, and I included a bunch of those as well.
1: Um, And then once it's done, how does the – and and I know you aren't – you know, actively involved in this process, but then how does the, how does the the printing and the the getting in the, the bookstore process? And in, I mean, obviously it's already available on Kindle, but how, how does all that stuff work?
0: Yeah, it's kind of, it's interesting. I am definitely a spectator because I don't really know what I'm doing about all this. And Wiley is, you know, doing their job to get it out to the bookstores and the Kindle and the iBook store, but you know, they don't really do a whole lot of marketing for another tech book. So it's kind of up to me to do my own marketing and I'm out talking to some of my podcast friends about the book and, you know, getting it out to some of my blogger friends so they can read it. And if they like it, hopefully they'll write about it. And so the word will get out there and then it's just up to whether or not people want to read a book or not. And you know, it's okay. I, <laughs> I, uh, I'm not, I don't feel like somebody has to go buy this book, but if they're interested, I think it, it's helpful for the stuff that it covers. And, um, and so Wiley's doing their thing. and, uh, I don't really have intimate knowledge of how it all works, which is makes it kind of fun for me because I'm just learning as I go along. For instance, one of the things that I've been told after I finished the book, frankly, was, you know, they'll know whether the book is a success or not even before it hits the store shelves, because you know, they, there's certain buyers, you know, like Barnes and Noble and Amazon and whatnot. If they, if the big companies don't buy the book, then people aren't going to buy it because it's not going to be in the store for them to see. Right, uh, And uh, so uh, to a large extent, the book is a success or a failure before it even goes out to people, which I thought was kind of interesting. And as we record this, I don't know what those numbers are because uh, it's Christmas vacation for people. So I'll know pretty soon how that's going. Uh, so, I do I do know that one of the problems they had, one of the ma- major publishers or major booksellers was saying, well, you know, iWork books don't really sell that well, so we probably aren't that interested in this book. And, um, Wiley did a very smart thing. They opened it up to Kindle and I guess it's had pretty good Kindle sales. So now they can go back to people and say, well, no, wait a second. People are buying this book and it's not just about iWork." So, you know, I, you know, I know there's various strategies going on out there and, uh, hopefully it works out, but I don't, you know, I, I was just happy to get through the process and write the book and it's out there for people now. So when someone says you can't work with a Mac, there is a solution, you know, read my book.
1: Um, so it is available, as you said, um, at, at the time this podcast is released, it will be available immediately in the Kindle bookstore, um, and then shortly thereafter it will be available – well, it is now available for pre-order from Amazon, and then shortly thereafter it will be available in paperback form um, from Amazon and from other uh, brick-and-mortar retailers. Yes. Um, and then it will also be available in the iBook store, correct?
0: Yes, it's definitely going to be in the iBook store. It looks beautiful. And, yeah, this is definitely
1: you- one that I, I mean, it's got some great color color figures and in uh, I'm I'm reading it in the iBook store right now or in the I'm re- I'm reading a color version right now on my iPad, so.
0: Well, Wiley was really uh, good throughout the process. I mean, I said that I thought that a book like this should be color. Right. It's just because it's got screenshots and there's a lot of stuff in there and it'd be really hard to absorb this stuff in black and white. And they said, okay. And they agreed to do a color book. And uh, as I went through it and I wanted to expand the outline to include some of the more obscure stuff that I thought was still helpful, like, like for instance, the appendix about it departments, uh, you know, that added extra pages, which was obviously more expense to them. They were understanding and thought it was a great idea. And they were with me all the way along. So
1: great.
0: Uh, they were helpful throughout the process.
1: Um. So, Mac power, the users, listeners, they all love you already. Um, what can they do to help you with this endeavor besides buy the book? <laughs> I mean, they can, they can find a link on our website. They can find a link on your website. We'll put a link in the show notes. I mean, there's a, there's a big icon that says Mac at work by Mac Sparky on the, on the Mac power users website. Um, I guess, tell a friend, write a review on Amazon, write a review on the iBook store.
0: Yeah. I just, if you enjoy it, let me know too. I like hearing from people. I got a, an email from someone in Germany who was telling me how he was reading the book as he rode down the Rhine river on his Christmas break. Cause he had bought it on the Kindle and that made me feel really good. You know, it did.
1: Yeah. Well, I am reading the book. Um, I, uh, I, I curl up, uh, in, in bed with my iPad every evening and, and, and read through a, a couple of chapters. So I'm, I'm really enjoying it, David. I just, I will tell you that I, I am in awe of this. I, I'm so proud uh, to, to know you and to, to be able to work with you. And I'm just, I'm just thrilled.
0: Well, you know, a book like this, I mean, really wouldn't have happened without a couple things. I mean, I think the first thing was luck, you know, uh, the right people at Wiley got my outline and understood what I was up to. Which is which which could have not happened. And um, and also I had so much support from people, like I said, even just my kids saying, "Okay, dad's going to spend the afternoon today writing and they'll go do something else. I mean, that takes a lot of understanding from a nine-year-old and, right. and I really, you know, I can't get over and my wife and my family, everybody was just really, very supportive. And frankly, you Katie, because uh, as I was going through all this, I was dealing with some other personal stuff. And I mean, it was just a crazy, crazy 2010 for me. And I wrote 90,000 words. You did. And, you know, uh, whenever there was anything that needed to get done the podcast and I wasn't able to get it done, you just did it, you know, and it means so much to me that you were uh such a such a fan and a you know a, a friend throughout that process. In fact, I put you in the acknowledgements because you're. Special. I saw
1: that. I, I <laughs> cried a little bit when I saw that. I appreciate that so much. So yeah, it, it,
0: it all really. I mean, it, it, these things happen, and really, none of this would happen without friends and family and and people supporting you and and kind people uh, believing in you. So I mean, it, in hindsight, this whole project was just a joy for me. Uh, it had moments where I thought I'd never get to the end, and it had moments where I thought it was. You know, for lack of a better better word, just crap. You know, yeah. <laughs> but then as I started getting through it, it really felt pretty good. And as I'm getting feedback from people who read it, I'm thinking, yeah, maybe I did pull off what I what I originally intended to, and that's to prove that yeah, you can get work done on your Mac and and have a good time with it.
1: Will you do it again? Or too Definitely. soon to tell?
0: Definitely. I, I I'm really glad that I did it. I would I would do it again.
1: Right. Well, maybe we need to write that Mac Power Users book.
0: Yeah, maybe we do. Oh.
1: All right. Um, any other thoughts on the book, or should we uh, should we wrap this up?
0: I think we've covered it. Um,
1: right. Well, go buy the book. Out.
0: Let me know what you think. Yeah.
1: Um, all right. We do need to thank our, uh, our, our final sponsor, and that is the Omni Group. And um, by the time you're listening to this podcast, the Mac App Store will have released, and the Omni Group is pleased to announce that all of their flagship apps will be available in the App Store. Uh, OmniGraphel 5, OmniGraphle 5 Pro, Omni Outliner 3, Omni Outliner 3 Pro, OmniPlan, OmniFocus, and OmniGraph Sketcher. So, uh, Omni, Omni Group is is always right there on the forefront, ready to uh, uh, of all the Mac products. I know that they were very excited about the Mac App Store opening, and I think this really shows their commitment to Apple and to the Mac platform to have all of their products available in the Mac App Store at launch.
0: Yeah. Just think about the year they've had. I mean, it's a big company and they made a decision to put all their major apps on the iPad and they're nearly done with that. They still have to get on the Outliner out there, but I'm sure it's close.
1: They're working on it.
0: Yeah. And then they had to, then they decided they're going to commit to this Apple app store. And in, in the process of one year, they've done that for both of those things. That's really impressive for a company of that size.
1: Yeah. I just remember when we saw them at Macworld last year, they had their, uh, they had their little, you know, game plan in front of them and their, their little iPad mock-ups and we're just buckling down for a, a big year. And then all of a sudden Apple kind of threw them a curveball and said, oh, yeah, one more thing. We got a whole app store coming out.
0: Yeah. Uh, Omni Group is a great company. They make great apps for getting work done on your on your Mac. I'm going to be speaking at their booth at Macworld. So if you're listening to this and you're on your way to Macworld, I'm going to do a session on Omni uh, Graffle and a session on Omni Focus at their booth. And I don't think the dates are exactly set yet, but they're close. And uh, so just check out the Omni Group or the Max Sparky website or the um, MacBook. We'll Power put computers. all that
1: information on our website. Yeah, yeah. definitely.
0: But great company. They make great products. Uh, check them out at the com, And we'd like to thank them for sponsoring the podcast.
1: Yeah. Speaking of Macworld, if you haven't made up your mind yet, there is still time to go. David and I are are very much looking forward to it this year. Um, But the folks at Macworld were kind enough to give us a discount code um, that will give you a $15 expo only pass. Or it will also give you $50 off a conference pass or $25 off the one-day user's conference if you opt to go that way. Um, The code is active now and will be good through January 29th. So when you register, just enter the uh, coupon code MACPOWER in all capital letters all together. So um, I was looking at the the conference schedule and outline, and, and my schedule's pretty much booked. I mean... Uh, I i don't have a whole lot of time. i got a couple of hours of time on Friday and on Saturday where I'm not doing stuff. But I am just really excited about the conference schedule, especially the stuff in the user conference this year.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And the best part of it, we're going to get to meet some new people. And yeah. maybe hopefully some listeners will, will say hello. I always like meeting people.
1: Come find us. We have buttons.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we're going to be giving away free Mac Power Users buttons. So just find
1: us. All the buttons you can you can
0: want. Okay. So we got some feedback. Okay. Um, Jared wrote in about media Rover. And uh, so he said, I've recently set this up. I find that it works like a charm. I've outgrown the 500 gigabyte drive in my time capsule. I've moved to a large external drive for time machine. And now using the time capsule internal hard drive as my media server location for media Rover. Have you worked much with this? Kim? No, I haven't. Yeah, me either. But it sounded really interesting. So we're going to go ahead and put a link in the show notes and check it out uh, if you're looking for a way to deal with serving up your media.
1: Yeah, I'm interested in that. Um, John wrote in and talked to us about iPhone security, which is something that I was preaching uh, actually over Christmas. My my mom, my dad, and my brother all got iPhones for Christmas. So um, I guess we're staying with AT&T for a while. Yeah. Uh, But John wrote in – and said, uh, here's the deal, you're all wrong. So that's a great way to start off an email. Uh, but he said, one of the recurring things I keep hearing on your podcast is for passwords on the iPhone. Um, David says, you should have one. And Katie and others say that if you lose the iPhone, they'll run home in remote wipe. Well, I- I'll actually have you know, John, that I do have a password on my iPhone. And yes, I will still run home and remote wipe. But he says the most valuable data on a generic phone is the address book. Sure. Criminals would love to find some secret doc, but they're happy with just the address book. Uh, you can send very convincing phishing or other scams. Uh, and your address book is guaranteed to be a full email address and phone numbers of people who trust you. Um, so in the device, the uh, remote wipe only works if the device is powered on. And the first thing that a smart unscrupulous actor will do is turn the phone off. So what do we do?
0: And he talks about, if you put a password on it, um, you can hook it up to a bootloader and still break through and get that information. Uh, Well, you know, uh, John is honest. He says, what's the answer? I'm not sure, but remember the most valuable thing in your phone is someone else's data, which is a great thought. And, you know, I don't know what to say. I, I still think, you know, putting a password security on your phone it's
1: probably going to help with the common thief. Yeah. Um. You know, having the Find My iPhone, which is now free, uh, if you if you have a a, a newer device, um, and it, and if you do, you you should go download that free app and go sign up for the free Find My iPhone service. I, I mean, they're not foolproof. Nothing is foolproof, but it's better than nothing. You know, having those two things in combination is going to be a lot safer than just having a you know iPhone out in the wild.
0: Yeah, and uh, one of the things I do on the iPhone is I put in there a few. Try to unlock it 10 times. To erase it? It erases it. Yeah. yeah that's I a setting it. that it's not built. I mean, it's not a default setting, but you can change it in the preferences. And I think that's a good idea.
1: Yeah. The other thing that um, you should probably do, and I've seen people do this uh, from anything is a low-tech way of putting a sticker on your phone to uh, more of a high-tech of editing your, your wallpaper background to putting some contact information on your phone where people don't have to get past your your password. Um, for you know, if a if a good Samaritan finds your phone, that they'll be able to contact you to find it and return it.
0: Yeah. Now uh, Marie sent in a, a link to a post about how OpenDNS is having an Apple TV have troubles working together.
1: Hmm. I haven't uh, had that experience though.
0: No, but you know I've been seeing this also uh, Google DNS service. Some of these uh, web services are working in a way that's causing uh, grief for people using the streaming content services. And I'm just going to put the link in the show notes. um, And I'm using open DNS with an Apple TV and not having a problem, but I, but I was thinking about uh, switching off open DNS just for giggles to see if it, if it streams any faster because of that. Like uh, I know, when our friend Allison Sheridan was talking about how long it took her to stream a movie on Apple TV, I was wondering if maybe that was the culprit.
1: Yeah, I don't think she uses Open DNS, and she's kind of got a bad Wi-Fi signal where she is, so yeah, I think that's her issue. But anyway, but no, it, it's good information, and it's it's something to talk about. I, I think I recall just from the reading that people seem to be having more trouble with Google DNS than Open DNS, but but definitely something to check out. Yeah. So, all right. Um, well, I guess we should uh, tell people how to contact us.
0: Yeah, you can reach us at MacPowerUsers.com or send email to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com.
1: Uh, we also have a voicemail account if you actually want to talk to us. You can uh, leave a message at 706-457-6937. That's 706-45-POWER. You can also find a link to that on our website. Uh, and we're also on Twitter. We're at MacPowerUsers or I'm at Katie Floyd.
0: And I'm at Mac Sparky.
1: Uh, And we love iTunes comments, so if you uh, get a chance, please be sure to uh, pop us a line in iTunes. And a special thanks to our sponsors who, uh, without their support, this podcast would not be possible. Uh, Thank you to Smile, 1Password, and the Omni Group. We look forward to connecting with those those folks and all of you at Macworld this year.
0: Okay, and what's our next show going to be?
1: Next show, we're going to be talking all about contacts and calendars.
0: I think it's time we've been meaning we've had this one on the outline for a long time and uh, you know, people have been writing in. So we're going to talk about how to manage contacts and calendars, the uh, the built-in applications, the third-party applications, and we'll probably put on our propeller beanies at some point or another and talk about Microsoft exchange.
1: Mm. Okay. It works for me. <laughs> All right. It. All right. Well, thanks for listening, David. Congratulations on the book.
0: Thank you, Katie, for everything. And uh, uh, I'd like to thank everybody who's been writing me with the nice emails I've been receiving about the book
1: lately. Go buy the book. All right. Thanks, David.